Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame. I'm your host, Frank, and this is another one of my first look episodes, this time for In the Clutches of Chaos, the fifth mythos pack in the Circle Undone cycle. I feel like the names are becoming more and more tongue twistery the later on we go. Before the Black Throne, before the Black Throne, before the Black Throne. I've got to get my practice in. But yeah, this is In the Clutches of Chaos, and as I say, pretty much every episode, I think I've seen a bunch of these cards. But I still want a first look because there's value in first look and, and seeing if the cards look different in the flesh and how I feel about them. Right, let's get going. The first card is the Mark I Grenades. This is a three-cost Guardian asset for four XP with a single combat icon. Pretty low icons for high XP. It's item, weapon, and ranged. It uses three supplies, and if it has no supplies, discard it. So like first aid. And it has an action, spend a supply, fight. You get plus two combat for this attack. If this attack is successful, instead of its standard damage, this attack deals two damage to each enemy and each other investigator at your location. Any additional damage is dealt to the attacked enemy. Blimey. So we announced this card at the UK Games Expo. Thanks again to FFG for agreeing to send us cards to use on the live episode. That was really awesome and generous of you. If you want to see my real first look, go and listen to that episode. It's up on the podcast history, of course, at probably a little bit of a muddled first look because I'm looking over my shoulder to try and see the card on a big screen. But I don't think I have too much to add about this card. It's very limited to people who can take it. I think it's Roland, Zoe, Mark, and Leo. I think that's it because Carolyn can't take weapons above level zero. So it's just four people, and of them... It could find a place in any of those investigators. Maybe not in Roland, because he's maybe a bit more pushed to enjoy the Seeker 0-2 to part of his deck building. But I think, for instance, Mark, Leo, or Zoe, they've all got ways of playing with the supplies on this. Yeah, through Ventura, right? And any one of them could like it. And particularly, as we said in that episode, if you go into big, big gun style and you want another weapon that kind of supports you, this would be great. I've been playing a lot of Guardians of the Abyss. I've been on a little project trying to crack Guardians of the Abyss two-player. And one of the things that comes up there is that sometimes you end up with a few weenies around or you end up with your enemies in clumps. And this is ideal for clumped enemies to just chuck in a grenade and whittle them out. The last thing I would say as a little look ahead, we know that the next cycle is the Dream Eaters. And in one of the card fans... We've seen something around Swarm, but we don't know what Swarm does. Something to do with Zoogs. We might be about to experience a campaign where you get mobbed by lots of tiny enemies who maybe don't even do any damage at first, but when they build up, they then do. And it will be worth dusting off your trench knife, looking at I'll See You in Hell, and checking out the grenades as well as ways of crowd control. So Guardians might find themselves, rather than having to be the big boss killer, starting to be the the mob enforcer, I was going to say, without being a weakness. Okay, that's the grenades. And next is Agency Backup, which was announced by FFG. This is a seven-cost asset. It's Guardian asset. Five XP, willpower, intellect, and combat icons. So it's, it's packing all of the inspiring presence icons. Ally and Agency traded. Agency backup may be assigned damage and or horror dealt to other investigators at your location, so like Brothers Avia, or something worth fighting for in True Grit. 
free trigger exhaust agency backup and deal one damage to it deal one damage to an enemy at your location b cop and exhaust agency backup and deal one horror to it discover one clue at your location well that test list clue ability i think is kind of new it's 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 like a working a hunch but without even the cost once it's down you just tap and get clues doesn't matter about the shroud doesn't matter about pretty much any restriction and it has four health and four sanity and takes up the ally slot a huge investment this is going to be 10 xp and seven cost in a scenario or six cost if you're leo 14 cost if you want to play two in one scenario it's not unique so with charisma you could put both down so you're really going to have to look into boosting your resource generation to make this affordable and similarly if you're playing agency backup are you also playing a big gun and investing loads of xp in that maybe not i think the best home is leo the discount playing it actionlessly access to rogue resource generation like hot streak level two or lone wolf or something like that adds a bunch of flexibility for him you could potentially be running inspiring presence and keep healing this or even run first aid three and heal this that you use this as a kind of battery its stat line is more or less half any investigators i mean better than that most investigators have a stat line of 14 and this has eight so it's it's pretty beefy i imagine with a bit of skill you could get it down to three damage and three horror and have done three damage to enemies and got three clues and then it's picking what you want to do next or then do you heal it back up and keep using that you could even build your deck around essentially just keeping this thing healed and get clues and do damage that way which seems pretty decent carolyn can take guardian up to level five is that right or can she only take up to level three i'm pretty sure it's only up to level three so even carolyn supreme horror healer you'd need her assisting whoever it is running this card Essentially, I think it's a great, fun, cool card, and I'd, I'd like to build a deck where maybe my first 10 XP is this. But I'd definitely say it's a, a card you build towards rather than you just slot in when you have spare XP, I would say. You know, to make the most of it, you really want some kind of resource generation support, maybe some kind of healing, or you know, you don't just slap this down and go, hey, hey, I've won, in the way that some people did with Key of East. I think you put this down and this aids everything else you're doing. You know, maybe it plays in nicely to Roland, where it's helping you finish off other enemies and it's helping you get the extra clues that you're already getting with your ability, something like that. That would make sense, the Fed getting agency back up. Okay, we're done. The next card. <sighs> it's those ghastly boys over at the Mythos Busters podcast who announced this card. The art of the card is me finding out that they had another card to announce and i'm just horrified and throwing away my old tomes this is ghastly revelation it's a zero cost seeker event zero xp double intellect icon and it's spirit traded discover three clues at your location give any number of your clues to another investigator or place any number of your clues on any location you are defeated and suffer one mental trauma this action does not provoke attacks of opportunity blimey so go check them out when they announced this they talked about it a lot and since then there has been a rules query about this so i think i'll get to that in a second let's just touch on some of the separate points here first of all this is a zero cost event at level zero to any you know 
Dunwich Gator can take it or anyone with secret access can take it. And for zero cost and one action, you get three clues, which is kind of bananas. Comparatively, Guardian's Scene of the Crime is two cost and you need an enemy to get two clues. Drawn to the Flame, zero cost, but you have to draw an encounter card to get two clues. Intel Report, pay four to get two clues. Look what I found, fail a test, pay two to get two clues. Like This is far and away the best single card for getting lots of clues in one go, I think. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything else. I'm sure there'll now be something and someone will tell me, but pretty sure just for a single card, slotting this, chucking it, getting three clues is great. But there's more than that, because once you get those clues, you can drop them on any location, any number of the clues you already have, and you can also give any number of your clues to another investigator. So I think this is the first time we have clue trading in the game. And you think about something like Lost in Time and Space, where people need clues to resign. Being able to get just a couple of clues as each investigator in Lost in Time and Space is vital if you want to complete that successfully as a party. And being able to just hand off clues with this, pretty good. But there's a cost, because after you've done that, you're defeated and suffer one mental trauma. Importantly, most scenarios that require you to clear a location of clues to advance have an objective that reads, if such and such a location has no clues on it, immediately advance. And there's currently a rules query in the works about whether that means that when you discover three clues from that location and there are no clues on it, the game immediately ends and therefore you're no longer in play to take the rest of this card, which is the giving of clues and the defeat and the mental trauma. And I'm very interested to see whether that's the case. A lot of scenarios have final locations you need to clear of clues, but don't then actually immediately end when you do that. And you know, plenty of scenarios lead to some kind of a boss fight or something like that or the spending of the clues is something where you have to pay to do it. For that, I'm thinking of something like extracurricular activity, where if you go and clear the dormitories, the objective there is if the dormitories has no clues, the investigators may spend the requisite number of clues as a group to advance. In that instance, you need a free triggered window to spend the clues. You can't just spend them at any time at all. They're spent in player windows. So... In this case, you'd get the last three clues with Ghastly Revelation and finish resolving the card before you can spend and finish. It's not a kind of open and shut case where whenever you can get the clues, you can just do that and avoid the defeat and the trauma. But there's something else worth thinking about here. Sometimes being defeated is not the end of the world, and the main faction that can take this seeker generally has high sanity scores, with the exception of Joe and Roland, if you want to call him as a quasi-seeker. For Daisy or for Norman, taking a mental trauma is maybe not the end of the world. If you're maybe about to be defeated by monsters and you just need to grab a few more clues as a last action, that's not so bad. Take everything we said about I'll see you in hell and flip it on its head. Using I'll see you in hell to clear a couple of enemies and take a physical rather than a mental trauma as a guardian is, is okay. Maybe I could see that coming up once or twice in a campaign, and the rest of the time I'd be using I'll See You in Hell as a double combat icon. In Guardian, that's not to be sniffed at. The same thing here. Maybe most of the time you use Ghastly Revelation as a plus two for your intellect tests, and then once or twice, if there's a big mob and you don't want to take that physical trauma, you pop this. 
With all of that being said, then, does this make Ghastly Revelation a good card? I would say no, it makes it a massively situational card, but I can at least identify some situations where it might be useful. So so a sort of like a, a cautious, okay, I like it. Maybe I should have just said that. Wow, the next card is permanent. Okay, this is the first card I've not seen. Uh, this is a Seeker card. It's permanent, so it's null cost. It's 3 XP. It's a talent. Oh, my word. Permanent. You begin each game with one additional card in your opening hand. Possibly Gilman ought not to have studied so hard. H.B. Lovecraft, The Dreams in the Witch House. Studious. Wow. Look at Gilman in there. Alexandre Donch. Donch? Donch? Sorry, Alexandra. You begin each game with one additional card in your opening hand. So after scenario one, you pay three and you start every future scenario with six cards in hand. Can Seth take it? No. So I think that's the only investigator that has different hand size. As a seeker, that's great. It helps with higher ed if you're playing higher ed. It also is just nice for that stronger setup. Changing your hand size from five to six to start is pretty good. If you want any kind of powerful early setup or a better mulligan i imagine if you start with one additional card that means you can mulligan one additional card so you can see 12 cards of your 33 card deck which is a third basically better than a third so yeah wow cool who can take it daisy likes it norman not studious sorry norman rex yeah fine chuck cards out Min loves it for committing cards to other people and to herself and just getting set up. Plays into all of the, like, seeker, barricade, hiding yourself away turret style. Ursula, yeah, similarly, find the cards you need. And Joe, yeah, a studious Joe to hit Ever Vigilant even better? Uh, maybe, you know, like, guardians like to get all the right pieces set up. Joe is a kind of quasi-guardian. I can see it finding a place in any investigator who can take its deck yeah strong nice application nice use of permanence to not be a skill booster to be something else and to be something flavorful to the faction cool okay next card is small favor oh, the art is even better when you're holding it in your hand we announced this card on our most recent visions of future past go and check it out there it's a two cost event double combat icon Small favor is a favor and service traded card, and it says deal one damage to a non-elite enemy at your location, and it has two reactions. One is to increase its cost by two to change deal one damage to deal two damage, so pay two to deal, pay four to deal two, and the other is increase its cost by two, change at your location to at a location up to two connections away. So you could pay two to pay four to deal a damage to something far away, like a whippoorwill that's following you, or a rat that's in a nearby location, or an acolyte that you need to kill off because it has doom on it. Or if you're willing to pay six, you can do two damage to an enemy up to two locations away, as long as they're non-elite. It's good. It's nice. Uh, reflecting on the discussion we had when we announced it about sneak attack versus this versus coup de gras, I really liked the fact that it wasn't an open and shut case, which was better. And I really want to see that Preston favor deck where Preston is kind of going all over the place and doing kind of bananas, flex, useful things. I said at the time that Preston's area of influence or whichever rogue is taking this card, they have this option to really mess with things at range. 
And I, I really think that's the case. I mean, you could even put it in something like a rich gym. If you're generating loads of resources from alchemical transmutation and Renfield, say, and that's your role, and then you chuck in a few favors just as cards that you kind of burn resources on to be helpful in an in a, a way we've not really seen before. So yeah, that's that. The next card is permanent too. This is also a card. Oh my goodness. Another day, another dollar. It's a criminal handing another guy money for cigarettes maybe or something else. It looks like a detonator. This is a three cost rogue asset. Null cost because it's permanent. It's a talent. You begin each game with two additional resources. Never lose sight of what's really important, which is resources. Terrific. So starting each game with seven resources, or if you're indebted, starting each game with four. You're like nearly nullifying indebted then for three XP. Blimey. Rogues. That means you can play Leo De Luca first action. No problem, because you're starting on seven. You could even do like Leo Investments or Leo Lone Wolf or Leo Take a Resource Flashlight, something like that. If you're not playing Leo, you can drop Lockpicks and Lola, first two actions, and still have an action to do something. The six cards in hand, I felt like, is really useful for setting up to having the right options. Seven resources to start. It's not that there's necessarily things that play off that in the same way. Although, as I say that, I'm thinking it makes you closer to Well Connected, closer to Dario El Amin if you're doing that, closer to Money Talks by the end of the turn if you've not spent any resources. You're a four with Money Talks, which is nice. You're nearly up at the, the good point for Cunning. And you could also play any favor immediately for six if you needed to. So there is, there is that, but I, th I think more as well, it's just if we see rogues wanting to have a pool of 15 to 20 resources at any given time, getting that little leg up of two every scenario to help them get over that first hump and then be sitting pretty is decent. And I, I would definitely say this is the kind of thing you invest in early and you get plus two resources for seven scenarios in a campaign rather than buying it after scenario seven and getting... Unless you've got so much XP, you have literally nothing to buy. This is a permanence. It doesn't take anything out of your deck. And you're saying, I'll spend three XP to start the next scenario with two resources. Like That's definitely not good value. But if you're swimming in XP, that's okay. So, so yeah. Yeah, like really cool card. One of my current projects is Solo Skids. And I think this ties in really nicely because you're, you're spending three XP then to essentially have a four action turn turn one if you want it because you've invested and you've already got the two extra resources seems seems nice skids loves resources next one to mystics how the cards fly by this is diana esperance uh, who deals with devils she's a four cost three xp mystic asset with double willpower icons she's ally and witch traded uses three secrets I'm going to do the, the bottom first. She takes up the ally slot and she has three health and one sanity. So she's like a souped up Renfield. She has a free trigger. Attach a non-weakness spell event from your hand to Diana Esperance. Limit one event attached to her. So, for instance, Ward of Protection. The attached event may be played as if it were in your hand. It is not placed in your discard pile after it is played. It remains attached. As an additional cost to play the attached event, exhaust Diana and spend one secret. 
So in that water protection example, essentially water protection, I get three uses out of it instead of one. It takes three horror, but I can keep tapping Diana and using it there. Likewise, for something like deny existence, you have deny existence on tap. Worth noting, drawn to the flame is not a spell, because otherwise I think that would be a really great target. You have drawn to the flame on tap, but unfortunately that doesn't work. The other cards to note are Moonlight Ritual, where you could keep removing Doom from cards in play if you wanted to, which is pretty good. And Marie Lambeau's signature card, Mystifying Song, I finally looked up the name so I can actually say it this time, is a non-weakness spell event and costs three and prolongs the agenda. So if you're willing to invest three XP on Diana, making me think, can Marie take it? Marie can take three XP, yeah. She's zero to three for Mystic, so she can exactly take Diana. She likes the physical soak, I would say. And you could keep prolonging the agenda from ticking over for three turns rather than just once with Mystifying Song. Or can you? Because Mystifying Song says remove Mystifying Song from the game after you play it, which isn't placing it in its discard pile after it's played. So maybe you would tap Diana, use Mr. Vang Song, it would be removed from the game and then it wouldn't be placed in your discard pile, which it wouldn't be anyway. Ah, damn it. Okay, well, I'll leave this bit in because I thought that that would work and I don't think it will. I will check that, but I'm pretty sure that remove Mr. Vang Song from the game is part of the effect of the card. So in the way that placing an event in your discard pile is not a baked in effect, that's just how you resolve events. Okay, damn. Okay. Well, still, water protection, maybe blinding light, Maybe Storm of Spirits, if you're really offensive-focused as a mystic. All of those are pretty good. You take a single card and you add a bit of longevity to it. I first thought that this might be a really good fit for Diana Stanley, but I wonder if for her cancellation she actually doesn't want the cancel stuck on here, because then as she cancels something, it doesn't get placed underneath her unless she uses her reaction ability and removes it from Diana, in which case she's just... She's just gone through this weird free-triggered thing to put the card out of her hand to have it hang around on Diana. The thing I like as well is the double willpower icon means if you're playing a well-prepared Diana Stanley, you can tap it and get plus two will from this, which is, I think, pretty decent. But who else might might like it then? I mean, anyone playing non-weakness spell events. So Marie, as I've mentioned, Agnes, if you're doing anything like Storm of Spiritsing, Jim, if you're doing some kind of weird spell shenanigans, there are options. And, you know, maybe we keep an eye out for Luke Robinson if he's doing fun things around spell events because of his mobility. This could be a really good fit for him as well. On we go. Next, also announced by FFG, we've really seen a lot of these cards. This is Deny Existence level 5. It's still zero cost. It's still got a wild icon. It's spell and paradox traded. Fast, play when an encounter card or enemy attack would cause you to do one of the following. Choose one. Discard cards from hand. Lose resources. Lose actions. Take damage. Or take horror. You ignore that aspect of the effect. I don't discard cards. I don't lose resources. I don't lose actions. Then, perform the opposite of that aspect. Draw cards. Gain resources. Gain additional actions. Heal damage or heal horror, respectively. At five cost, it's pretty pricey, but it's a 
pretty amazing effect, I would say. I've just played House Always Wins with Diana Stanley and used Deny Existence to avoid losing five resources, but imagine if I was playing Deny Existence and gaining five resources. Smashing. Similarly, things that empty out your hand, you know, for each point you fail by, discard a card from your hand, you draw tentacle, you need to discard three or four cards, and then suddenly you're drawing four cards with this is great. You know, at its best, Deny Existence 5 is every other card that does that useful thing. So it's sort of a first aid level 3. It's a hot streak, say, that generates resources or even a cash. It's a cryptic research to draw you cards. It's an ace in the hole to get you more actions. It's all of those different effects combined into one card. It is a steep investment at 5 XP, but if you're running Arcane Research or Double Arcane Research, for Double Arcane Research you can get both for 6 XP, for Single Arcane Research you can get both for 8, which is not to be sniffed at, and I think it has applications outside of Diana Stanley. Obviously she loves it for the replayability, but having the ability to cancel some of these nasty treachery effects or enemy attacks, but also turn them to your advantage as part of the cancellation, what can I say? It's stellar. It's really good. It's really lovely. And, I, you know, my only hesitation is how do I fit this into a Mystic deck in terms of XP? Because I'm desperate for XP for all sorts of other things. You know, Mystics now have really become the hugely XP-hungry faction, haven't they? As if they weren't already. But just insanely strong. If you've played with Deny Existence Zero, the best way, I think, to evaluate this card is every time you've played Deny Existence Zero, add this little claws in your head and what if I did the opposite now and pretty much every time that happens I end up thinking like oh that would have been good yeah I'll cancel two horror oh, but if I'd heal two horror as well and I'm back to full sanity oh that that would have been good you know yeah I'll, I'll cancel losing six resources oh but if I actually was now on 12 resources it starts to feel good another card we know trial by fire <laughs> This is our first survivor card. It's a three cost event, one wild icon, zero XP. It's crazy, the penultimate pack of the cycle and we're getting zero XP cards, but I like it. It's spirit traded. Your boy Calvin might like it. Fast, play only during your turn. Choose one of your skills until the end of your turn. Set the base value of that skill to five. You never really know what you're capable of until something is trying to eat you. The art is a gore and goo splattered gentleman painted by Javier Charo Martinez, holding an axe and a hammer, and looking pretty serious. So for three cost, you can turn any of your stats to a five, the base value of it. Because the base value changes, that means rise to the occasion, things might get turned off. If your stat was three, you're paying three for a plus two boost for, let's say, three actions. So say you're Wendy, you turn your intellect from a three to a five, you're getting plus two intellect for three actions to investigate, investigate, investigate. For three costs, that's that's not bad. That's like paying one for plus two three times. That's pretty good. But as soon as you start using this for weaker statistics, like Wendy's combat of one, you're getting a boost of four then for the turn. And if you can get even a couple of actions using that new powerful stat, that's great. The person I think who loves this alongside Calvin, who obviously has some based stat issues, is Preston, who's ones across the board. So for Preston, pay this for three, have a turn where, say, 
you evade two enemies because your agility is now five or have a turn where if you're playing with a baseball bat you're swinging at seven for a turn or even have a turn where you investigate three times as i just described pop this down i'm at intellect five now for the turn bam 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 three clues that was a good investment of three at that point you're paying one per action to get plus four so the rate of return is bananas good it also starts to become really cheeky fun if you start including things like will to survive or ace in the hole if you're rita so rita can pump her combat or agility <laughs> yeah her agility she can pay three to not get her agility any higher or her her combat or her intellect up to five and take six actions not revealing any tokens so that's like instant success six times if needs be that feels really good you know obviously you need the resources to do it survivors aren't normally that pressed for resources if you're not taking tests you can also be drawing thin or you know doing other cheeky things you could have generated the resources for it seems pretty good to me oh there's one other person i thought might like it yorick he might like it if he can afford it either for a single combat boost taking up to combat five for a turn or more likely either for helping with clues when he needs to or for boosting agility and i just thought oh yeah diana could use it for her willpower but she's already willpower five <laughs> i seem to be good at thinking of the five statted investigators yeah it's i think it's it's pretty decent you know i think it's a think it's an option you might even see sneaking into zoe as a as a fifth card to have again to to pump your intellect hugely or maybe to pump your agility if needs be ah oh, the next card it's bait and switch haven't seen you for a while it's the three xp version of bait and switch oh this is going to test me so hard it is one cost which i think bait and switch was before it has an intellect and two agility icons, so I think it's gained an agility icon. It's tactic traded, which it was before. Was it? Either choose one, evade. If you succeed and the enemy is non-elite, evade the enemy and move it to a connecting location. That's the old bait and switch. Or evade, use only on a non-elite enemy at a connecting location. If you succeed, evade that enemy and switch locations with it. Ooh, okay. So you can... Push an enemy away from you, non-elite, which is what it used to be able to do, which is sort of okay, good for Rita to get distance. Or if you're trying to get past an enemy and you don't have your track shoes on and you otherwise want them behind you, you could use this ability to evade an enemy that you're not engaged with because it's just at a connecting location. It could be engaged with someone else and you pull the enemy off them, switch it around. It's the proper bait and switch, isn't it? You pull them to you and you move their place. I love that second ability. Really cool. Another way of expanding influence on the board, another way of evading something when you're not near it. Seems amazing home in Rita, maybe a good home in Wendy to do some cheeky shenanigans and switch things around. Blimey. Cool. Yeah. It's that classic high XP survivor card where it feels a bit edge casey, but... I think it's one of those things we've once put it in maybe useful. And it's the kind of thing where you know to play around. So like, for instance, you could use this on broods in Undimension Unseen, but you need to know that you're facing broods and that you want to manipulate them. There's got to be a reason to... What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, if you play without this card in your deck, you won't ever look for those situations where you say, oh, if only I had bait and switch level three, we could do a really cool thing here. It's only once you start including the cards in your deck that you start seeing the possibilities of them, which is exactly the same with the favors. You don't think about 
doing things in other locations if you're not there as other investigators. You just move there and do them. That's how we play. And it's only when you start including the favours that you go, ah, actually, I don't even need to move. I'm just going to stay here and do that. And similarly with this, as Rita, you might be like, well, I can run too to catch up with you, but then you're still engaged with the enemy and I'd have to then move, engage, and I don't have enough actions. And with this, you go, well, I'll run, I'll tap tap, track shoes and I'll be one away from you. And then I'll drop bait and switch, switch our locations, do a damage to the enemy as it switches. I'm there caught up with you and I've still got an action left to shoot them with my bow or the the other enemy, whatever it is. Terrific. Lovely fun. And last is a neutral XP card. It's Anna Kaslow, three cost asset, four XP, a wild icon, ally and clairvoyant traded. You have two additional tarot slots, two reactions. When the game begins, if Anna Caslow is in your opening hand, put her into play for free. And after Anna Caslow enters play, search your deck for a tarot asset and put it into play. So that's even midway through the scenario. She goes and fetches you a tarot. One health, one sanity, takes up the ally slot. Thanks again, definitely due to FFG. You know, generally speaking, I think FFG have been really awesome, actually, to try and include the community more and encourage us to share cards and share our experiences. When I started first looking, as I've said many times, I didn't know if there was any point in it beyond exercising my ego. And to have FFG say, yeah, we really like you first looking and do more and here are some cards to announce is like massively humbling. So yeah, I'm super grateful for that. After we talked about Anna Caslow on air, immediately Peter had a few thoughts of people. There's two people I think worth highlighting that I don't think we highlighted in that episode. So generally speaking, Anna Caslow feeds into a tarot style that we've not really seen a point to play yet. She's the missing piece of the puzzle, I would say. And to get the situation you need with Anna, you need an investigator who can probably take two or three tarots. So Ace of Rods, whatever their main faction is and whatever their off-class faction is. And you're going to spend eight XP on Anna and then four to six XP on the tarots that you choose to take. If you're playing Circle Undone, maybe you get one of the Ace of Rods for free. Maybe you end up with a the tower weakness as well. So you might end up potentially with four to six tarots in your deck, depending on how you're doing. What that means straight away then as well, which is worth noting, is the Dunwich investigators really don't want to take this. Unless you're doing Ace of Rods and Death or Ace of Rods and the Moon, you're only ever going to have four tarot max, maybe five with the tower in your deck. And that's the numbers aren't great then for Anna hitting the cards. Oh, snap. If you're studious, you have more chance of seeing tarot in your opening hand. Well, I like that. That's pretty good. Okay, so that's sort of the, the preamble about it, just about where it does or doesn't fit. Some of the places that we could have talked about that we didn't, where it might fit, is in Lola Hayes who can take all of the tarot, except that I think that when the game begins, she could only play the neutral tarot because you have to pick your role when you've drawn your opening hand. And when you do that, you can only play commit. Unless put it into play and play a separate, but I don't think they are. So Lola is like, you could have any of the tarot and you could leave those those factions once you have Anna out and the tarots that you need. But yeah, there's that risk of board wipe and all of those other things. The other places that I think are better are Calvin and using the Five of Pentacles to really shore up his stats. 
And if you see Anna late in a scenario, playing her to immediately go and fetch you pentacles is really nice, I would say. Maybe you've already played one pentacles and then Anna comes down and gets the other one. Although Calvin, that's all he can take for tarot, apart from Ace of Rods as well. So, you know, a, a bit odd, but maybe you just use it as sort of pentacles support. And then Yorick is the other really nice fit, I think, for it. He can play Ace of Swords, the Guardian Tarot. He can play Pentacles and boost himself. He might be playing Ace of Rods as well. But he can replay Anna Kaslow. So you can play her, pull a Tarot into play. If you've only got one in play, you can happily kill Anna, knowing that later you can replay her and she'll fetch another Tarot from your deck. And then if she dies, you've got a choice of which tarot to discard. Maybe you haven't taken any damage or horror, so you get rid of pentacles. And then you play her again, pull another card out of your deck. You're slowly sort of winnowing out all of the tarot from your deck. That seems a little bit more efficient than almost any other option for it. Although that makes me think as well in Survivor with a chance encounter or running, calling in favours in any faction, you can pull her back to hand, and then play her again to go and fetch another one. So so there were options there for manipulating her ability and making it fire repeatedly. That actually reminds me then of Agency Backup. There's that similarity around wanting to make the most of an ability. For 3 cost and 4 XP, Anna's alright, but her stat line is pretty low, 1 health and 1 sanity. So either you really want to see her early, or you want to play her a couple of times or have other tarot to play with. The final point I'd make is she does really help playing around the tower because if you can use her to fetch the tower from your deck and play it for free rather than for an action and 4 XP and then it doesn't take up your tarot slot because Anna's giving you two more, that I think is really, really nice. We know in Circle Undone one investigator, depending on the path you take, ends up with the tower and the Ace of Rods, which is the two more tarot. So for that... I think I'd be tempted if I knew I was that investigative to invest in Anna Caslow early and play around the tower in that way. I mean, the other thing you can do is just not commit cards to tests with the tower in your hand, but that's not how I roll, as we know. Okay, that's the pack. Uh, I felt like I was a bit rambly this time, but it was a kind of weird pack. Grenades, good for swarms. Agency backup, make the most of it. Ghastly revelation, let's see what that rules thing said, but I think Mental Trauma and Seekers isn't the end of the world. Studious, wicked, really cool. I mean, the 3 XP and the fact that higher education, if you're playing Taboo, isn't 3 XP anymore. This feels like a really nice 3 XP target. It's really good. Small favor, pop, pop. Another day, another dollar. My skids is going to be so rich. Diana, I can't wait to find the perfect spell to put on her. Deny existence, stronger than it looks. Trial by Fire, now that it's out, I actually would love to slot this into a Rita deck and get 5 agility. That would be really good for a turn. Bait and Switch 3, maybe like the, the sleeper hit of the pack for me, just in terms of the opportunities it opens up. And Anna, if you like cards, you might like Anna Kaslow. Cool, this has been my first look. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks very much for listening. You can get in touch with me in all the usual places. I'm on Twitter as FBEPH underscore BEE. And I hope you've enjoyed all our recent episodes. Plenty more to come soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.